0: Thank you, band. You may be seated. As we gather to worship this morning, let's start by going to God in prayer. As we uh, thank him, as we confess, as we lift up our prayer requests, won't you pray with me? God, we are grateful to be in this place this morning. We're grateful for the small amount of rain that we saw come through just for a second. We pray for more rain. Uh, We look forward to the cooler temperatures, and we... Enjoy seeing some of the trees begin to maybe change color just a little bit, just signaling that uh, we have these seasons built into your awesome creation, and it reminds us of uh, uh, things ending and new beginnings, and we look forward to what that means. We're so grateful that we could be in this place, singing songs this morning, reading through the scriptures, hearing a word giving our tithes and offerings. It is our honor and privilege to be here. But Lord, we want to confess that this week there have been some ways and places in which we have messed up. That we have done some things, both knowingly and unknowingly. Uh, We have done things and left things undone that you have asked us to do. And there is no excuse for that uh, other than we need you. That we make mistakes because we need you. And so we ask you to forgive us. We know that you do forgive us, that you've already pronounced forgiveness over us. Uh, But part of that is that we need to receive that as well. We need to know that we are forgiven and that we are called to get back out there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So may we never give up trying and we are grateful for the ways in which you have cared for us. Lord, we. We also come this morning with lots of things on our hearts and minds, burdens that we carry, situations, things that happened this week that maybe didn't go the way we thought they would go, surprise things that popped up, uh, things that that force us to reconfigure uh, maybe how this week is going to look. And We don't want anything to hinder us this morning as we worship, so we're going to call out names and situations to you knowing that you hear them even before they are formed on our very tongues. You already know what it is, but we do this because it's part of what you've called us to do, to, to name things and to tell you, to be in constant communication with you so that then we can leave them with you and have nothing but pure joy and truth as we worship this morning. So hear us now as we call these out to you. Protection of my
1: family.
0: Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.
1: Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 Regina Finch. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in, Lord, your, in mercy, your mercy, hear our prayers. Teresa. Lord, in your mercy, yes. hear our <laughs> prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear yes. our prayers. John Bailey Lord, Lord, yes. yes. Lord, in your mercy, yes. hear, your hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.
0: Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.
1: We lift to you the
0: unfolding drama in the UMC and the GMC and all other expressions of Methodism that are coming into play. Lord, in your mercy, hear in our, our prayers. prayers. We pray for our leaders and our country. Lord, in your mercy, hear in our, our prayers. prayers. We pray for this congregation that we might be a faithful witness in Palestine and beyond, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord in your mercy,
1: hear, hear our prayers. Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers.
2: For the witness of the pumpkin patch.
1: Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers. commander. Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, mercy, hear our prayers. prayers. Lord, in your Your mercy, mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, there are so many things we could lift to
0: you this morning. Uh, The sick, the oppressed, those who are in the prisons, and those who are uh, guarding the prisons, the folks on Facebook, those without jobs, so many cares and concerns, burdens too great for us, but you don't ask us to carry them, you ask them, to ask us to entrust them to you, and so we do that this morning, we thank you for taking our burdens, we thank you for the yoke of Jesus, uh, which you have called us to take upon ourselves, the yoke which is easy, and light, but does require something of us. And so we look for that word from you today as we learn more about what it is that you require of us. May we be a faithful witness. We are your church, Lord. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray.
1: Amen.
2: I'd like to invite our kids forward for a children's sermon time, just their own. Uh, Just a reminder, after this, you have a choice. If you want to go to children's church with us, Or if you would prefer to sit with your parents, if you prefer to stay in the service in worship, we do have worship folders available to you, and there are fun pumpkin stickers in there this week, so make sure that you grab one. Ah, thank you, Pastor Jamie. All right, guys, so I wanted to tell you about a cool thing that we did recently. Um, Recently, our young adults group went out to the pumpkin patch, and they had what we call a stories and s'mores night. Where of course there's s'mores, right? You got to roast marshmallows around the fire pit. Um, but the stories that they told were testimonies. Does anybody know what a testimony is? I know it's kind of a big word that we use in church, um, but all it really is—it's a story about something that God has done. So in the Bible, you know, we have a lot of stories about what God has done through a lot of different people's lives, right? Who are some of those people in the Bible that you think of when I think of when you think of stories in the Bible? Can you think of any? Do you have any favorites? Any people? No, not today? Okay, well, Daniel and the Lion's Den. That was a testimony, right? About what God did in Daniel's life. And so we also have stories about what God's done in our lives, right? Some good things that happen in our lives that we can say, thank you, God, for that good blessing, right? So if we think about it, I want everybody to think of something in their life right now. You can close your eyes if you need to concentrate really hard. But think of something that God has done in your life. Think of something that we're grateful for, something that we like, something awesome that happened that God has done in your life, right? So, does anybody want to share theirs? What was it? fair. The fair. Did you get to go to the fair?
1: We got to go to the fair in Waco.
2: That is awesome. What a cool story. What a good testimony and a good blessing in your life. What else?
1: Playing Goat Simulator on Bubba's game
2: me. Oh, all right. Playing with your brother on his game system. All right. Any other stories or testimonies of really fun things that happened? Yeah. God helped me draw better. That's awesome. God helps you draw better? Man, that is so cool. I am not very good at drawing. All right. Any others that you can think of? Grand Slam. Did you go to Grand Slam too? my goodness, you're getting to go all sorts of fun places and do all sorts of fun things. Well, I wanted to give you all the opportunity um, because sometimes it helps when we look back at those things and we go, you know what? My life is pretty awesome because I got to do some really cool things and God blesses us in a lot of ways. And so some people make what they call a blessing jar where they write down the fun things that they get to do or the fun things in their lives and all the blessings. And then when they need a reminder of how good God is, You can go to your blessing jar and pull one out and remember all those good times. And that's what happens in our scripture today. So does anybody want to write theirs down and put it in the jar? Go for it. So pass those out for me, Kaylee. I'm going to grab another pen for you real quick. Ah, Thank you. All right. Who else wants to write one down? You want to write one down? Kaylee, will you pass a note over to them too? Thank you. So we're going to put them all in the blessing jar so that we can remember all the good things that God has done. Um, So what is something good Like where is another place that you've seen God lately Any places that you've seen God Any adults want to share their testimony See it takes practice to share your testimony About where you have seen God Miss Lee how about you Uh huh Yeah And I know I
1: can
2: Praise God. You were not feeling well, and now you are. Praise God for healing. Yeah, so that would be a blessing and a testimony. Um, And today in our scripture, the Israelites remember a lot of things that God has done in their lives to deliver them from Egypt and all of the other fun stories that we've gone over for the last several weeks we get reminded of today. All right, well, while we're finishing those up, would you guys pray with me? Would you mind bowing your heads, closing your eyes, putting your hands together, and let's pray dear jesus thank you for loving us thank you for blessing us help us to remember all of those blessings and the good things you do in all of our lives in jesus name we pray amen thanks guys all right as you finish up your notes you can put them in the jar and either head back to your seat Or come with me to Children's Church.
0: So we are going to read the story that she was speaking of today. Uh, For those of you who have not been with us, we are doing what's called the narrative lectionary, in which we take about nine months and we look at the highlights of the story of God's people going from Genesis and all the way through. Now you can imagine, the Bible's pretty thick. It would take us a lot longer than nine months to read all of this. We're not reading every bit, we're just reading highlights. Today we are in Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 1 through 28. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, "...and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many." I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea." When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I handed them over to you and you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he blessed you. So I rescued you out of his hand. When you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I handed them over to you. I, went, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built, and you lived in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and oliveyards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him. In sincerity and in faithfulness, put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak in the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, see, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you if you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away to their inheritances. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, I was thinking this week as I'm writing this sermon out, you know, these sections that we're reading of scripture are very large. And typically, if you're going to preach a sermon, you want to focus in on one verse or two, uh, because then you'd be here all day. And there was so much in this that we could talk about. But there was one verse in particular, verse 19, that caught my attention. And as I, I was kind of ruminating on this verse this week, uh, I had a mental image that came into my mind. How many people here watch Shark Tank? Come on, you can be honest. Shark Tank, do you guys know the premise? Do you know Shark Tank? Okay, so even, even if you don't watch, you know the premise. There are these four big wigs that have lots of money, and people come in and pitch their ideas in hopes that they will get one of the sharks to invest in their company, and then they work out some kind of a deal. If you give me half a million dollars, you can have 2% of the company or whatever it is. Okay? So here's this mental image that came in, in into my mind this week. Crazy. My mind works weird. I want you to imagine Jesus on the shark tank. Okay? The four. folks are sitting up here and jesus walks in and what jesus wants most of all is he wants them to buy into the idea of discipleship and so the sharks they say okay jesus tell us why we should invest in your way of life and jesus says this all right this is the big pitch you ready if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down first and compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. Pitch over. What do the sharks say? I'm out! I'm out. Forget it. No way. Heck no. Jesus. Why? Why? Because sales 101. We know sales 101. If you're trying to get somebody to buy what you're selling, you try to make it sound as pleasing and wonderful as you can. You do all the things you can to appeal to them so that they say yes to what you want them to have. When I sold pianos for a little bit, I was told you have to remove all their no's. Whatever it is that they're saying, ah, I can't buy a piano right now because you solved that solution for them. Well, I don't have room in my house. Well, let me see your floor layout. If we move this over here and this over here, I think a piano would fit right there. Now what's your excuse? You know, that, that was how we did sales. You remove the nose. Jesus is not removing the nose here. He's not uh, being a very good salesperson. He's not pitching the idea of discipleship very well. And I connected that this week to Joshua because Joshua is doing the same thing here, not being a very good salesman. Now, by the way, I'm just going to give you just something that's kind of quirky and awesome, and this is free of charge, okay? Joshua and Jesus are the same name. Joshua is Hebrew for Jesus, and Jesus is Greek for Joshua, okay? And that's kind of cool because we're going to be comparing Joshua and Jesus today. But Joshua displays some terrible salesmanship. Now, let's, let's back up. Where did Joshua come from? How did he get in this picture? Well, Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. They get to the Jordan River. It's time to cross over into the promised land. And Moses says, I won't be going with you. I'm going to stay on this side. But Joshua's going to take over for, for me here. He'll be your new leader, your new guide, as you guys go into the promised land. And so Joshua takes the people, and as a people, even though they're in these 12 tribes, these family units, as a nation, they go around and they secure land for each tribe. In fact, we've got a map. This is what it looks like. Okay? That's how, at the end of this campaign, this is what the 12 tribes looked like. And so then... At the end of this, it's at the end of this uh, military campaign and really at the end of of Joshua's life as well that he gathers all the tribes under the tree at Shechem. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should because this is the place where Abraham stopped all those years before when he was told to leave leave his homeland. The first place he stopped was the tree of learning. We talked about that and listened for a, a word from God. This is that same tree. It's also interesting because... Joshua is saying almost verbatim what Jacob, who was later named Israel, said to his family under this tree. He said, it's time for us to get rid of all of our gods. And they collected up all their idols, and they buried them under this tree. And so Joshua, this tree has a lot of history for their people. He's standing there, and he then says, verse 15, the verse that we all love, Choose ye this day whom you will serve, as for me and my house We will serve the Lord. We love to put these on t-shirts. We love to put them on bumper stickers. Do we have a bumper sticker? There it is. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We love that verse because it's just like Joshua going, this is what we're going to do. This is our resolve. Now you would think that after Joshua has told the Their their history, everything that God has done for you Since, since Abraham was first called, going through the wilderness till now, reminding them of all the good things and then saying, choose this day whom you will serve. And the people, as one voice, enthusiastically respond, yes, we will serve the Lord too. You'd think Joshua would be thrilled. But no, verse 19, this is the verse that caught me up. He says... You cannot serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. In other words, folks, you just don't have it in you. You're saying you're going to serve God, but you're not really going to do it. You don't have what it takes. Man, Joshua, that's not very good sales 101 right there. You've got the people with you. Man, they're listening to the story. They're caught up in this campaign that just happened. They're getting ready to go back to their tribal lands. They're all saying as one, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. And then you just like rain on that parade. Terrible salesmanship. What is going on here? What is it with Joshua and Jesus? I mean, isn't the point of this life of faith to bring people closer to God? to encourage them to turn toward God. That's what I was raised to believe. We were taught how to go out and preach the gospel and really convince people, take away all their no's, get them to say yes to Jesus. I read passages like this and I wonder, I wonder if maybe we've gotten it all wrong. I wonder if somehow our notions of what it means to be a consumer, and we are all consumers in this country. It's built on consumerism. I wonder if that started to creep into our ideas of how to build the church. I mean, think about it. At least in America, the dollar is almighty. So what that means is you figure out how to attract customers, and by doing so, you make more money. That's the name of the game. And we do the same thing in churches. We have all kinds of things like pumpkin patches and VBS and fall festivals and gift bags for visitors. We have celebrity appearances if we can afford them. We have state-of-the-art music and lights and sound. Heck, we got hip pastors with skinny jeans and tattoos. I'm not one of them, but... We do these, these kinds of things to attract customers, to bring them into our church, the more people you have, the more money comes in, the bigger your building. We call that the ABCs of church building. The higher the attendance, the bigger your buildings, the more cash flow equals success. So we try to find ways to be creative and to entice people to come to church with flashy and glittering things. And I wonder... I wonder if we've gotten it wrong. I wonder if perhaps the church is built by inviting people but being brutally honest about everything that a life of faith entails. A life of sacrifice and faithfulness and of giving of oneself for the sake of the other. Now don't get me wrong. Joshua and Jesus are making a genuine offer here. This is a real offer, the best offer we will ever hear. Turn to the Lord and be made whole. Be forgiven. Be brought into right relationship with your Creator. Be counted as part of the family that comes with an eternal inheritance. That's an awesome offer. It's the only real offer that exists in the world but they don't stop there because then they go on to say, but you might not be cut out for it because it will cost you your very life. I thought about Dietrich Bonhoeffer who died in a Nazi prison who wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, you know, grace is free, but it ain't cheap. It's going to cost you something fact it's almost as if joshua wants to say here you know what folks i know i said choose this day whom you will serve and and serve the lord but on second thought it might almost be better for you to serve the gods of egypt or the ones that your father served across the euphrates river or perhaps even the gods of the amorites that are just right here it might be better for you to serve them because it's going to be easier for you these are safer gods they're more convenient hector temples are already standing you can just move right into them because this god this god which has taken us on and invited us into this relationship is holy and jealous for his people and he's not going to let you off very easy if you say yes to him john wesley the founder of the methodist church he had this similar approach you know the methodist church didn't start out as a church it started out as a a society, a holiness club. It was a place for you to go where you could beef up your faith in addition to church. You go to church on Sunday, but you're a member of this society. But to become a member of one of the Methodist societies, man, you you had to do some flips to get into those things. They would ask you a series of questions that were deeply personal, and you had to answer them authentically and honestly. And once you were in, you had to do things like meet weekly. You couldn't skip a week. You had to meet weekly and continue to answer questions. Very similar to our Emmaus gatherings where where you're staying connected to people and you're kind of being tested throughout. Here's the kicker. When you got in, you would get this little certificate that said you were a member of, you know, Palestine society, whatever, wherever you were. At the end of the year, you had to be reevaluated to see if they would give you a ticket for another year. I mean, can you imagine that today? Can you imagine that today? Hurdles and hoops, none of us would tolerate that today. If you walked up to this door and I said, excuse me, do you have your ticket to get in? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And yet the Methodist movement grew and grew and grew and jumped onto other continents and grew and grew until it became... A full fledged church. It was almost as if the harder it is to get into this thing, the more people wanted to be in. Crazy. Now, here we are in 2022. The Methodist Church is losing attendance right and left. More and more people are dropping out of church in America. It's not just the Methodists, it's the Baptists, and it's the Pentecostals, and the Lutherans, and the Catholics. Everybody is losing attendance attendance at church in fact experts will tell you that if the trend that we are seeing now continues at the rate it's going in just a few decades church will be gone in america done COVID actually sped it up a little bit they had models that they could they could dictate if, if something doesn't change by this time it'll be done COVID actually sped it up by like five years Now, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you here. This sermon, as I'm writing this sermon, is more for me than it is for you. I'm glad you all are here to hear this, but I'm actually preaching to me. Because I want people to know how cool this church is. Like, this is one of the coolest churches I've ever been in. I want people to know we have a bar in the back. <laughs> we, own, we, we own a freaking golf course. You ain't never seen a church like ours and we got a pumpkin patch, we do things out on the back porch, you need to come to our church. I'm the first one that's guilty of that right there. Not only that, but, but as a pastor, someone who stands in this position, I've got people above me. I've got a district superintendent and I've got a bishop who's evaluating me and looking at me and man, I wanna leave this church double the size that I found it in. Well, how do I do that? Let's let's break out the skinny jeans and the tattoos. Let's get the lights and fog machines going. But I'm beginning to think that perhaps the invitation into discipleship has been cheapened. That somehow we have cheapened this thing by offering people perks if they join us, like like a membership to Dave and Busters or Netflix or something. You know. If you join us instead of that other one, these are the things you will get. Have we cheapened it? Because it seems to me that if you want to compete with the world the way the world competes with each other, well, no matter how flashy you make it, there's always going to be somebody around the corner with more bells and whistles, more money. Bigger and better. And so then the church just becomes one of many things that you can choose to entertain yourself. We can't afford to put bowling lanes in like Dave and Buster's. And even if we could, I don't know that that's what we're called to do. You see, Jesus never asked us to compete with the world. Jesus instead told us to go out and invite people into this crazy upside-down life that looks so different than the world, but actually makes us whole. And then Jesus said, but make sure people know what it's going to cost them. Make sure they know the grace is free, but it ain't cheap. There's One thing Joshua got wrong. He told them that day, he said, you know, God will not forgive you. If you turn away and serve other gods, He's not going to forgive you. In fact, he's going to turn against you and destroy you. After all the good that he's done, he will just wipe you off the face of the planet. Well, he was wrong about that. He didn't live long enough to see that actually when the people did in fact turn away, that God was extremely patient and forgiving. That God was almost a pushover. We we see sections of Scripture in which God is just like wrestling with himself, saying, how can I give up on you, O Israel? I love you. I'm in this thing with you. And so God gives them chance after chance after chance and eventually sends his son into the world to fix in us what we couldn't fix in ourselves. That's God's solution. I'm going to send my son. Is God good? Absolutely. Is God serious about us living up to the royal name we've been given? Absolutely. You need both. Because if you're in a church that 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 strays too far to one side or the other, then the church suffers. The kingdom building suffers. And really, one of the things that drew me to the United Methodist Church was the fact that John Wesley had both and. Like this extreme message of grace. Like, do you know what God is doing for you? But then this expectation... For the people called Methodist to submit fully to God in light of that grace, as a response to that grace. So yeah, I'm wrestling today with this sermon. I'm wrestling with church in general, because I don't want to compete with the world. I feel that pressure. Maybe you do too. Maybe some of you look around and go, man, I remember the heyday when this thing was filled to the brim. Well, what did we do back then to attract people? Maybe let's do that again. Or let's do it better or bigger. Hmm. I don't know if that's what we're called to do. What I do want to do is be honest about how incredible and life-giving a relationship with Jesus is. But I also want to be brutally honest about how difficult it is to follow Jesus. I don't want to kid people and say, if you turn to Jesus, your life is going to be like all magical. All the problems go away. Folks in a world that's out there scrambling for attention from others, my prayer for us is that we become the worst kinds of salespeople in the best kind of way. Are we up to the task? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word today. It is hard to hear. We, uh, we don't want to quit the things that we're doing. We, we love the pumpkin patch. We, we love the fun things that we do here, but help us to just really evaluate the things that we do and make sure that we're doing them for the right reason and that they are producing the transformation that you want to see produced when we are tempted to do things just to uh to draw people in for the sake of having people here so we can pay for things and keep the lights on rebuke us lord because we don't want that to be our motivation we love you and we are grateful to be called to this place and into your service may we serve you rightly in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen you all grab the hand of the person next to you and receive this blessing? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do, you're probably going to make some mistakes this week, but I need you to know. When you make those mistakes, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in His amazing grace. And it's by grace that He says, Beloved, I love you just as you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. And so I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you receive that good word, that you go from this place in that power and in peace
1: until we meet again. Amen.